This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax. I'm Charlie Clawson. Don't you normally say, everybody relax, this is Tofop? I'm Charlie Clawson. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Let me try that again. No. Everyone relax. No, no, no. You, you, you think about that What do you mean, no? What I get to happened? do it again if I... I just forgot. I've I had a lot on my mind. Well, you were too relaxed. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to shame me. We, this is not live to air. I can go back and re-record it. Every, or, look, everyone who just heard that, just put it out of your minds... We're going to take a little two-second moment of silence, and I'm going to go again. So everyone just quiet. Shh. Everyone relax. This is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Better. Better, Charlie. Take <laughs> two better? is better. Well, I mean, I think it's a bad start if we can't even get the intro of the podcast right. Yeah, I know. Well, look, I'm a bit flustered. We did a bit of recording uh, some other stuff uh, before we did this episode, and I'm feeling quite stressed out by it. We've introduced a lot of elements to this podcast in the last kind of month or so, fax machines, live streams, <laughs> new sponsors. There's a bunch of stuff going on and I'm not coping, Will. I mean, I think it is part of this evolution of me into just an old man. Like, you know, we've learned about the Bin Trilogy. Uh, I can't stand Triple J anymore. And I get flustered easily now, like really flustered and confused. Um, I'm worried my therapist has died. Uh, I am like, she's an older lady and I went to my appointment last week and she wasn't there. And I thought, oh, well, maybe we've just, you know, mistakenly not booked in a new appointment or something like that. And I've heard nothing from her in the week since. And I've sent her an email and I've not heard back from the email. And my immediate thought is that she's dead, that my therapist has died, that I have killed her, her, that I've driven her into an early grave. Oh my God. She's like, I'm not, I'm not cracking this nut. <laughs> She's like, I give up. It's the great unsolvable now, case. She said my name on her deathbed. Did she strike you as being in ill health? Like, is she, is she ill in any way that you could tell? No, not in any way. I, I, I'm, I'm very hopeful that she's not dead. It just seems a little weird that she isn't returning my calls. <laughs> well, I've not called her, by the way. I feel like calling is too much at this stage. I've just sent a polite email, but... I am worried. I just, I don't know why, but there's just this feeling of like, oh God, I hope she isn't dead. Because I don't want to send rude messages if she's dead. Not that I would send rude messages anyway, but. If I was your psychologist, I would say you're catastrophizing this issue. <laughs> I know. To the- this is our whole next section. <laughs> this is going to be. Yeah. And how did you feel when I wasn't there that day? Did you feel abandoned? Yeah. Did, that, did you feel abandoned like you felt abandoned when you were a child on the farm and your parents would just put you in a corner and you would have to come up with your own amusement? Is that how you felt? Did you feel like 
maybe this is part of her therapy. Like she's lured me in with actually being very helpful to me fixing some of my problems. And then she just like pulls the rug from underneath me. So I'm not too comfortable. Maybe it's a product of a guy who has to do radio every morning and has about 100 podcasts who's constantly searching for content and things to talk about, even in your therapy sessions. You're like, well, God, I've ticked off all my phobias. I better come up with something else. Okay, I catastrophize now. Right. I've got generalized anxiety disorder. Maybe she's nagging me. Maybe she's just read the game and she's like, this is getting a bit too comfortable. You know, he's enjoying this too much. He's eased into this relationship too quickly. I need to get him back on the back foot because she is the therapist. When we had our first session at the end, she told me whether she didn't think it was going to work. She was like, she was like, I don't know. I don't know. She said, I think you're going to be hard work. And since then, I don't (laughs) think that I have been hard work, but maybe she's seen that I'm trying too hard to please her and she needs to pull the rug from out under me and get me back on an uneven footing. I mean, you should have started getting the message when every time you turned up to a session, she would groan and fold her arms defiantly as you talked. <laughs> She'd do your voice back to you in a high-pitched idiot voice. She is also... You, know you sound like, Will? <laughs> That's what you sound like. Pathetic. Pathetic. <laughs> and you look like a dork too. What's with your hair? The glasses aren't helping either. I'd really seriously consider your life choices, mate. Are you well, sure you're a therapist? This is the therapist who, yeah, I shouldn't have gone to this roast therapist. <laughs> this is the therapist who told me I looked terrible a few weeks ago as well. So actually there is a pattern emerging. I like it. It's radical honesty. That's what she's giving you. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she's the Australian cricket team's therapist as well. Elite honesty. <laughs> <laughs> My uh, therapist has, has broken up with me. Um, not... Uh, I'd like to. She say that she says she's moving cities, and I'd she like says, to believe that's true. Look at both of she us says, with our abandonment issues. We haven't done the podcast in the same place in a year, and we're suddenly both got really terrible abandonment issues. It's very funny because she was saying because when she told me that she was moving, I think her husband's got a job, so she's moving to state with him. And she said, uh, "Okay, so the options are: I can refer you on to someone else who can take over." Or, you know, we could continue these, we can do phone sessions. And then about 10 minutes into the session we're currently doing, she's gone, you know what, I think we should just rip the Band-Aid off. I think I'm just going to refer you to a couple other guys. <laughs> and I was like, why? Like, do you not want to see me anymore? And she was like, no, I just think that you're someone who benefits from actually, she thinks, I, I think I said to her that I did like, I like going into a room. I like changing my space. When I'm in that room, I feel like, okay. I can talk. It's, I'm not feeling self-conscious, but I feel like if I was at home on the phone to her, that I would get distracted, that I would be watching TV or doing something else while I was talking to her. You were like, um, you know what? She's like, look, I've done long distance before. It feels okay at the start, but after a while, you know, I'm just going to be in a new place and I'm going to be seeing other, you know, patients and we're going to build new relationships. And, you know, suddenly on the phone call, you'll be distracted at home. You'll be doing other things your heart won't really be in it at that point. And you're like, no, 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 we can make this work. We can make this work. I'm into it. We'll Skype. We'll keep in touch. And then suddenly you're outside her new city on her lawn with a cassette tape deck above your shoulders. Yeah, just playing all my complaints and phobias. (laughs) Well, it's funny because she, when, when I said, okay, if I was to see a new therapist, like, I said, would you pass on notes? And she's like, no, that's generally not what they do because a new therapist has got to form their own kind of opinion of what's going on. Um, And I was like, oh, but 
because I've been seeing this woman on and off for like three years now. And the reason I started seeing it was when mum was ill. And it's like, okay, like I feel I've got some grief coming and I want to get some grief counseling. I want to, well, I think my words to her in that first session were, my mum's dying. I think it's going to be really hard. How do I outsmart it? <laughs> Help me to outthink grief. That's yeah. what I want to do. Yeah, my mother, you know, who raised me as a child single-handedly uh, and who I've remained great and close friends with throughout my life and love with all my heart is about to depart this earth. How can I cheat that? You got some yeah. cheat move for that? How can I yeah. skip to when I'm fine with that? Like what I'm trying to say, Doc, is is there a pill I can yeah. take? That makes me just skip this part of life that I have to go through, losing the ones we love. Because so, I don't want to do that. I notice you have a remote control on your desk. Is that some <laughs> sort of magic remote control like the movie Click where you can fast forward me through this period of grief? She's like, hang on. You've seen the movie Click? I think that's the root of your problem. Right, how, many ever, how, many, how many of these Adam Sandler films have you watched? All of them. All of them. Right. She just like calls an insane asylum. Get the straitjacket. <laughs> no, I, when I first saw it, that's what it was for. And then she was great with that. Like it, what I learned, you know, during that whole process was amazing. And so then I started like going back to Syria and more stuff started coming up. It was about like, you know, uh, like I guess like life coaching and talking about career and all kinds of stuff. And it's been three years of like narratives, you know, like, oh, this is what my childhood was like. You know, this is how I think I've formed these views on certain things. This is why I feel like I react emotionally to, you know, this situation. And then I was like, so I have to basically do the season recap thing when I go and see this guy. It's like you're watching Westworld season two and you're like, oh, I can't remember anything that's happened. So in like five minutes, do I have to give this guy like all the hits? I think that's the way to do it. Because you don't want to have to like do a complete, you know, gritty reboot. You don't want to have to go through it all again. Like some of no. it, you've just got to go like previously on, previously on Charlie Clawson, you yeah. know, and then it's like, and it's, so it's like Charlie initially went to therapy because of this. And then you kind of fast forward through a few things and go dealt with that now over this, this is still a running theme. Like in the same way as like, you know, when they do those in your episode of Westworld or whatever you go, they show you stuff that is not only previously on the story, but things that are going to be important to that episode, right? You yeah, know, you yeah. see the characters yeah. that are going to be featured or the storylines that you need to know a little bit about. They're a bit of a... And so you give it that and go, and here's some of the things we're going to explore. Here's some of the themes you're going to need to know. You're going to need to know this about me for us to talk about this other thing, but I don't want to go back and talk about that thing in particular because I've done that already. But that's exactly how it would go because the things I would want to talk to him about he would need to know the lead in the key events that have happened in season one of Charlie to understand why I'm now seeing him to talk about these things. So you're right. It's all, it's just the important storylines. Don't need to bring up every single trauma or, or, or bad thing that happened, but just the ones that have led to, to where I am at the moment. Yeah. But she was saying, well, she was saying what I thought was interesting. She said on average, it's one to two sessions. Most psychologists take to get up to speed. And she said, it's not really a lot about, what you're actually saying. But in, she says that her, the way, the way that she deals with a client or a patient, I guess, is it's really about um, body language and what they're not saying. She likes to read between words. And then she said, and you're someone who really reveals a lot between the words you're actually saying. <laughs> and then I got like incredibly self-conscious, which is like, 
well, what do you mean? Like, uh, like if this is a poker game, am I the guy who's just like giddy with excitement because I've got a full house? <laughs> like, I've just got a hu- huge smile on my face. I've taken my sunglasses off. My eyes are bright. I've got a big smile on my face. Like, do I, do I sell the game? She said it's the tone of my voice is the giveaway for me. When I'm talking about something, regardless if I'm talking about something happy or sad, she said, I have the, the, a, t- a distinct tone which makes it easy to read. Would you say, as someone who's had conversations with me for eight years you know, on the podcast and probably you know, close to 15 years as friends, can you read my tone? Yeah, I think so. I think you're reasonably easy to read. You read, you, you, <laughs> I mean, sometimes I do, I do think you put on a pretty good face though. Like, so you probably, I think people would think that if they don't know you, that you are more cheerful or that your life is in somehow, you know, because you're reasonably enthusiastic and cheerful and whatever. So I think people could mistake that for, you know, going, here's some other, but I know from talking to you about other things, obviously that that's, you know, not necessarily the case, but you always, yeah, get a pretty clear sense. I have very counterintuitive body language. Like, so often like on stage, for example, like I will cross my arms, you know, which is just, like the complete opposite of what they tell you you're meant to do in those situations. But I do it a lot even when I'm having conversations with people. Like I'll fiddle with my fingernails or whatever or I'll I'll cross my arms across my stomach or whatever, but they're not actually me shutting people out or um, like I can be having a lovely conversation with somebody with my arms crossed across me or, Mm. you know, picking at my fingernails or whatever. It's funny. I have got a friend who's an actor and he – always books commercials like commercial auditions as an actor are the worst thing in the world it's the hardest thing to get because it's so completely arbitrary about why you do or don't get a job literally you're walking into a room in which you have to be exactly perfect for the job if you're going to get it because you know the agency and the client have got an idea in their mind and so that's why they're like cattle calls you go in and you go out and it's a, but and it can be not a really just an idea experience. in their mind they've already sort of market tested and you know, yeah. put research and whatever into this idea in a way that you're not doing for a feature film. You know, there's still a yeah. bit more gut call in a feature film than there is, you know, in these commercials where they've shown, you know, to, to archetypes to focus groups and yes. they've researched what the client wants and they have what the agency wants and they have what the client thinks that the representation of their product is. And all these people have all these sort of, you know, clear ideas about what it is that they want in those scenarios. I get that's exactly right. When you're going in for like film or TV, they want, what they want from an actor is an interpretation of the role. What is your take on this? When you're going in for an ad, it's like, this is the role. Like yeah. you have to be exactly this. You have be to be this. the solo man. You ha- we are you have looking to be for the, the person girl. who is most like this. We already have, we've already cast it. We are now looking for somebody who fits the criteria of the person we've cast for this role. I mean, Gemma directs lots of ads and I will see her watching casting tapes and literally her finger is on fast forward for 90% of the ad because unless that person steps in front of the camera and they immediately look like what has been discussed in all these meetings and what's been on the mood boards and all that kind of stuff, then there's no point. Might be the best actor in the world, the most charming salesperson in the world, but unless they fit that, that exact idea of what's been imagined, then you don't have a hope. But this mate of mine who gets all these jobs he says that the reason he thinks he gets the jobs is the way he approaches the casting because when you go into a casting it's either just a casting agent behind a camera or maybe it's a casting agent the director behind the camera and then if you get further down the process you might meet the producers you might even meet the agency or whatever but he says when he goes into the room 
he just makes sure to ignore the camera and just engage like direct eye contact because it can be very nerve-wracking self-conscious experience where you're looking at your shoes or you're folding your arms or whatever but he just goes in and is like i'm just going to talk to each person as if there isn't even a camera here like like basically these guys i am the guy they want to meet and so i'm just going to come in be that person and it works for him like he has a very every man look he's good for a number of different kind of brands especially in australia but he reckons it's 90 percent that body language thing of just being like he the way he said is i sell myself as someone you'd want to hang out on set with for, for a couple of days it's not about i'm going to nail the character i'm just going to be a really good bloke someone that you feel comfortable with and can hang out with well i think that if you're going for good bloke roles that makes a lot of sense to me because they can just see mm. you as being a good bloke they've cast the good bloke in their mind already you just have to be what they want i think that is 90 percent of roles for men in australia good bloke is that's the archetype that we have perfected like every film that has done well has got like a it's always a good like a blue collar philosopher with a heart of gold yeah and yet there are so few actual good blokes going around <laughs> these days where are it the is fucking the most shit blokes? fantastical of all characters in modern mainstream cinema is the good bloke yeah there's plenty of shit blokes. Yeah. Lots of shit blokes. Yeah, exactly. It's like 95% shit blokes, but we have this idea in our head that we are populated by mostly good blokes. Even our criminals, our gangsters and whatever are at their heart good blokes. <laughs> <laughs> They're not though. They're terrible blokes. Horrible. Now, um, well, since the uh, facts debacle, we sort of have run behind a little bit on our TOFOP respondents. People have been sending uh, uh, a correspondence to uh, email TOFOP at gmail.com. That address again is email TOFOP at gmail.com, which will be the best way to submit questions or inquiries or discussion topics to the show while we work <laughs> out what the fuck we're doing with a fax machine or we're getting an answering machine. I have looked into getting an answering machine. Quite hard to track down an old tape deck one, though. See, this is the thing. It's the same. I could easily set up a fax machine that connects with my computer and we could keep getting fax. Taxes, but we want an old school one. I could easily get in an, a, like a voicemail service where people could call us. Mike Howe would have a digital file. We could play it in the show. Too easy. I've been looking for an old tape answering machine. I'd still have to get a phone line connected somewhere so we can play tapes of people's questions on this show. Tofop, getting it done in the hardest way possible for eight years. <laughs> Tofop, the path of most resistance. <laughs> Tofop, we can't believe that we're doing this with our time either. All right, our first bit of correspondence comes from uh, Simon, who says, Hi, CNA. I only got onto podcast a few months ago, starting with the Howie games, but I found Tofop after that, and I have been hooked ever since. I was listening to Will on the radio already, but unfortunately for Triple M, I no longer listen to any radio. I drive a truck, so I've had plenty of time alone to binge almost everything you guys have done already. The reason I'm getting in touch is to let you know that you have genuinely affected me in a positive way at the exact moment that I needed it. Long story. You don't need to hear it, but thank you so much. I got onto Patreon a while back and decided that in true Tofop style, I should do five bucks a month so that I got the worst possible value for money. <laughs> <laughs> this guy gets it. This guy, anyway. this guy is really understood what this podcast is about i've installed a fax machine in the tractor and yeah 
I've got myself a pager and a CB radio. <laughs> I mean, that's what we should get. Like, because at the moment when uh, Will and I uh, want to coordinate with Mike Hal to record an episode, we have a WhatsApp group. And so we'll just, you know, throw our availabilities up and then we coordinate a, a day and a time to record. What if the three of us got pages? Like, <laughs> what if the only way... We could coordinate an episode of Topop is that I had to page you. So let me get this right. To page you, I would have to call a phone service who would have to call your pager, right? I don't even know how pagers work because I was never a doctor or a drug dealer. The only two groups. But um, yeah, I would love that. I would love the yeah. idea that we were <laughs> pager only. We might be the only podcast that survives the information revolution. We might be the only yeah. one that's not being spied on by the government. We'll go on a lot of watch lists. They'll be like, we don't know who these guys are, but lately they've brought a fax, some yeah. pages, and an old cassette answering machine. We believe they <laughs> must be plotting some sort of bomb threat of some kind. They're going analog <clears throat> with their technology. Definitely up to no good. Uh, Simon signs off. Anyway, keep it up and never forget how much love there is out there for you. Ah. Well, that's nice. After a, shit few, after a shit few weeks. That's a good one. Good start. I also like the way... Well, I mean, there was that bit where he stopped listening to my radio show. So technically our ratings might go down and I might lose my job because of, <laughs> because of Simon. So let's not forget the dark side to the story. Justin Byrne writes in, Subject, more Dolph than Peak Dolph. Okay. After episode 156, uh, which I believe is Peak Dolph, uh, I had to watch the Dolph TED Talk. So that's the uh, the TED Talk I talked about. Dolph Lundgren talks about growing up in Sweden. And I think he uh, grew up in an abusive household, physically abusive household, and the anger he carried with him and then learning to love and forgive and all that kind of stuff. Good talk. Anyway, uh, it rang a lot of bells for me, resonated a lot. So thanks. It helped in one journey. Wow, we're getting a lot of sort of like... We're putting a lot of good out into the world. The first two Tafop respondences have really been like positively affected by this show. Maybe well, it's worth it, Will. I mean, I feel like Dolph Lundgren should be taking responsibility for most of the happiness this guy has received. Yeah, that's I feel point. like we just, you know, Googled him because we were yeah. living in the same apartment block and then read his Wikipedia page out. So I, I don't know if we can take full credit for this life revelation. Yeah, I guess the G... I guess the GP who writes the referral for your psychologist doesn't get credit when you, your depression's cured. Is that right? Isn't that right? Like, where the, we wrote a prescription to Dolph. We didn't actually do the heavy lifting. I mean, I think we're more like the Yelp review that referred you to that doctor in the first place. <laughs> Uh, so it helped on one journey in trying to find it. I found another. By the podcast. way, is Yelp just restaurants or is it businesses as well? I think it's just restaurants, but I, okay. don't, know. I don't use you. Well, my doctor also has a cafe. <laughs> <laughs> How much does he charge for smashed avocado? Oh, you know what? It, well, most of it you get back on your Medicare rebate, so it's fine. <laughs> I think it's 12 bucks for the smashed av, but like you get eight bucks back. In trying to find uh, it, I found another podcast. It's the I Must Break This podcast, where each episode they discuss in depth an individual Dolph movie. So... Time to step up the Dolph game, boys. Regards, P.S. Oh, no, he, did, he wrote regards and didn't put his name. He wrote regards and then he says, P.S. Still waiting for Mike to send me the hold music to use as a ringtone. I didn't realize that was a thing we were doing. I think you can find the, the hold music, the elevator music. I just, I found that. I just Googled elevator music online. You'll be able to find it anywhere. 
What's Mike Hal saying? He didn't. He. Did, I don't think Mike Hal knows about this either. Right. Okay. So that might be why he's still waiting, because nobody else knew that it was meant to be happening. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the podcast where we want to switch to pages to coordinate <laughs> when we record. Yeah, we should definitely make this more complicated. John Davis writes in, Hey, Tofop. Hi, Will and Charlie. Was listening to the suggestions of a Tofop VR experience. Fuck, I completely forgot. <laughs> I've got to follow... <laughs> I've been so busy with fax machines and answering machines and pages, I forgot to follow the guy up. I mean, I sent him an email saying we're interested, but I haven't checked the replies. I'll have to do that after this episode. <laughs> okay, anyway. <laughs> I forgot that that was even a concept. <laughs> <laughs> I think the most TOEFOP experience would be a VR experience that lets you send a fax in virtual reality. Oh, okay. I like, I like it. Think. This is good. Perhaps just a minimalist office environment or a mirror world version of Charlie's news agent. <laughs> Wouldn't you love that? This poor woman. She thinks I'm finally out of her life. And I just walk in one day with one of those Google 360 degree cameras and just like walk around her store. What are you doing? Ah, oh, nothing. I'm just going to create a... 3D replica of your store to put online. Why? Nah. So people can send us a fax online, a virtual fax. You, you don't have to do anything. There's a virtual you that we've created. <laughs> well, that's the way to sell it, isn't it? It's like, I mean, what are, what is the rules with like, it's just a news agent. It doesn't look distinct from any other news agent I've ever been in like can she copyright I mean it's her property I guess the design layout of her the design and the layout of her yeah I mean she's got the Coca-Cola machine right near the door the little scratchy area ATM I mean I'm pretty sure it's pretty bog standard yeah I mean I, I like to think that there's rivalry in the news agent world over shop design and that she thinks she has a revolutionary shop design and she doesn't want Gary at papers, papers, papers to be ripping off, you know, where she puts her Coke machine. Or like Gary could just walk in and, and check it out, I suppose. Uh, in the pre-internet days, I was always intrigued with news agents with the layout of magazines about the placement of pornos. Because like if you were in like a, a, a well-to-do suburb, it would have all your Vogue living and stuff up front and you'd sort of have to turn a corner and the pornos, the dirty mags would be down the back. But occasionally you would walk into a news agent and their front and center was like picture, people, playboy, penthouse, everything like front and center. They're not trying to, they're not trying to curate a certain kind of clientele. They're like, what do you got? Come in. Here you go. Yeah. They were the internet before the yeah. internet, <laughs> you know, like essentially there were some news agents that treated your penthouse as if it was the dark web. And it was off in some yes. corner that nobody really knew. You had to specially go there. And the only reason you were going there was for no good, like the dark web. Or there was just the regular web where you can like look up something really wholesome. Like if you want to go, I want to read the American Constitution. That was a bad example of something really wholesome. But do you know what I mean? Like if I want to read the collected works of the Dalai Lama and then you can go, and now I want to find a video of a Lama having sex with a man. <laughs> Uh, John says, perhaps a minimalist office environment and mirror world of Charlie's news agent where the entire VR experience consists of you just sending a virtual fax to your actual fax address. Bonus points if it would actually send to the fax, if it 
would actually send the facts that you compose in VR to your actual facts address, though it being pointless simulator would probably be even more tofoppy. <laughs> Thanks for all the hours of entertainment. Cheers, John. I love that idea. I think that is something that could that that helps us. That gets faxes back on the menu. They can be digital faxes, so people can still handwrite them and scan them and send them to us if they want, or they can just like type a fax. And it sort of exists. Like we're making it hard for ourselves. We're using modern technology to communicate in the most archaic way possible. I mean, not the most archaic way possible because there was ways before faxing to communicate, but certainly an outdated form of communication. And I do like Mm. the fact that our virtual reality experience would be sending a fax, something that in the future will probably only be available through virtual reality. So we might be able to corner the virtual reality fax market. We might be like the new Atlassian. We might invent coincidentally tech you know like when they're trying to research for one drug and it turns out that like yeah. you know I mean I don't think they were trying to invent Viagra when they invented you know that sort of thing they were trying to they were working on heart medication or sort of blood flow or whatever and they were like oh my god like I'll tell you what 8 out of 10 of our patients have got better hearts but like 10 out of 10 of our patients have throbbing erections <laughs> I feel like we can rebrand this and I feel like the virtual facts might be the throbbing erection of this podcast. It might be the incidental technology we develop to send virtual faxes might be the thing that actually we make a lot of money out of. People will be like, hey, do you remember Will and Charlie? They used to have a podcast. Now they're czars of the virtual facts industry. Just I'm thinking about the guys who market research those, did the clinical trials for Viagra. I didn't even think of that. Like, because they wouldn't have known dosage or anything. So... Easily in the first few weeks of that testing, some guy definitely got overdosed and he had no idea what he's taking. They said, oh, we're looking to, we're thinking this could be a heart thinning medication. You, you may have a shortness of breath. You may uh, get hives or whatever. He wakes up in the middle of the night and the Eiffel Tower is in his groin, like a giant, painful, throbbing erection, right? So then he goes back to the clinic the next day and says, look, I think there's been a side effect. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Can we study it? Well, He's okay. Like, uh, I'm going to put, I'm going to put it, I'm going <laughs> to, let's walk through this a little bit more. Yeah. Say you, Charlie, have signed up to this trial for, let's walk through this, Charlie. You, Charlie Clawson, yep. uh, have signed up. To, I haven't given, I haven't, I haven't given my real name. Okay. What's your real name? Uh, Bartleby Fink. Okay. Barnaby Fink. <laughs> Terrible. Bartleby. What is it? Bartleby Fink. Bartleby Fink. What a terrible made-up name Bartleby Fink is. Anyway, Bartleby Fink, you've signed up uh, to this heart medication, blood pressure uh, medication trial that we're doing. Uh, We're going to monitor you for 24 hours and just see if there's any symptoms. Uh, We believe there might be some uh, aches and pains in your joints because of the extra blood pressure. Uh, We might uh, notice some uh, reddening in your skin. (laughs) We'll be looking out for that, how thirsty you are. Um, uh, At the moment, we don't know about any other side effects, but that's obviously why we're doing these clinical trials here at the moment. So are you happy with that? Uh, Just you'll uh, let us know any side effects. Absolutely. Where okay. do I sign? Okay, so you sign up, you take your tablets. Okay, wait. How do I spell Bartleby? <laughs> <laughs> Probably should have thought of that before I made up a pseudonym. Can I spell it when I have to sign the documents? Uh, and uh, one form of ID, obviously, we'll need uh, Bartleby. Uh, um. <laughs> <laughs> Jumps through a window. 
<laughs> goes, shaves, comes back. And who are you, sir? <laughs> Got a handwritten license that's like written in crayon. <laughs> My name is... Hang on, why are you doing that voice now? Because <laughs> <laughs> I cut my my throat jumping through the window. <laughs> All right, so Bartleby. All right. Uh, yep. They give you your tablets and then yep. you uh, stay through the night and you have the reaction to these tablets that uh, most people have. Do you mention it to them the next day or do you just check it up to the fact that you were in an unusual circumstance and we're just having some sort of reaction in your own body. Would you immediately go, this is a side effect of the medication? If they haven't told you, you'll get a raging boner. Would you immediately think that your raging boner was a symptom of the blood pressure medication? Or would you just think this is an incidental thing? Because in my mind, I'd be like, well, what if I just, that just happened to me naturally. And suddenly I'm just telling all these doctors that they you know strapped me up and put some wires on me and gave me a tablet and I got a boner. I uh I would not I mean I'm someone who doesn't go to the doctor straight away for things anyway. Like I always like to kind of just just wait things out. Maybe it'll get better on its own. That's my philosophy, folks. <laughs> if you want to live a long healthy life, ignore medical advice and maybe it'll get better on its own. <laughs> that's what I that's what I believe, Will. Sure. Doctors tell me different, but what do they know? I mean, there's facts and, there's what, and then there's what you believe. And I believe maybe it'll get better on its own. So would your approach be uh, that maybe it'll get better on its own in regard to the erection? Erection, yes. I would, because I imagine it's not an uncommon occurrence to, make up, to wake up with the morning glory. So I think if by like, you know, within half an hour of waking up, I would be going, hmm, that's unusual. Normally it's gone by now. I think within a couple of hours, I'd be like, I would obviously try various um, uh, methods of treating uh, <laughs> treating it myself. Well, uh, I look again, I'm not a doctor, but uh, I know how to treat an erection. <laughs> I have a PhD. PhD, shit. I mean. <laughs> yeah, you've got a I'm PhD an in the D. <laughs> <laughs> Put a hand on dick. That's what PhD means to me. <laughs> uh, Pull hard dick. PhD. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> uh, so I would uh, try some of my own methods first. And if that hadn't uh, fixed the problem, I would say if I woke up at, seven and it was now midday and it was still a raging boner now i'm starting to think hmm it could be these pills so how do you bring it up i mean to coin a phrase <laughs> well it's already up yeah. you don't have to do any more <laughs> how, how do you mention um, it to the you know to the scientists because you're surrounded by scientists you know they've been you're in a lab okay so am you i know, oh, been still, in the still lab, in the lab? pen and a pad you know trying to get this well, damn that... label off <laughs> <laughs> With a pen and a pad? That's not a pen! Uh, I think that I would tell them around lunchtime. I'm I'm imagining I'm in one of those medical gowns, like those robe, you know, the smock. So I think it's going to be plain for people to see (laughs) what's going on. Uh, 
Now, is it a communal, like, is it a communal area? Are there other, there's other people doing the test, I imagine. Okay, so, well, this is interesting because if one of the... So, if you're in a room with a whole bunch of other people, then this mm-hmm. is a completely different scenario again, isn't it? Like, you'd be yeah. uncomfortable if you're in there with members of the opposite sex, but it's, it's uncomfortable no matter what if you're just a bunch of blokes in a room in smocks and you've all got... It is not, it's not comfortable to have an erection except for the exact instances in which you need an erection. It doesn't, it doesn't go with any other activity like walking down the street, playing tennis, uh, you know, doing a Zumba class. Having an erection, uh, is a hindrance in those events. You know what? It is really one of those tools again, so to speak. It's very hard to say anything or hard anyway. So, (laughs) but it is. It only has one use. Come on, Will. Spit it out. It's not a sonic screwdriver. You know, in Doctor Who, your sonic screwdriver has a... a, Yeah, yeah, it's a multi-purpose sort of instrument. It's not your Swiss army knife, your genital... Like, I mean, realistically... Well, your genitals are good for two things. Like, obviously... It's not a Swiss army knife. It is a blunt object. (laughs) Like, it is the complete opposite of a Swiss army knife. It's good for smashing things, and that's it. Yeah, you know what? It is. It's funny, isn't it? Because when it turns into that, like when it transforms, you know, yeah. from one to the yeah, other. Does yours make the same sound as mine? Yeah. <laughs> but when it does transform, it does actually turn into a different thing, doesn't it? Like as in, like what it's used for in your day-to-day life, which is mostly like, you know, the disposal of waste and, and, and whatever. It then has another setting, another mode. But when it's in that mode, it's no good for the disposal of waste. Like its other exactly. mode is shut down, so this new mode can. Yeah, yeah. It's like they shut down the highways to let the like the fun run go through. <laughs> yes, yes, that's exactly <laughs> what it's like. There's millions of them. Well, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> They're all running in that one direction. Okay, so once they discover that, that suddenly this, you know, blood pressure medication or whatever it was, um, is giving people hard-ons. Do the yeah. scientists who are in charge of the blood pressure, like who have been like, we're finally going to have like the solution to high blood pressure or whatever, how quickly do they pivot into, fuck it, this is not about blood pressure medication anymore. This is about, like, we, we, there are gold in them, their stiffies. Do you know what I mean? Like, do they immediately yeah. okay. know that? Is there one scientist who's like a holdout, like 12 Angry Men style, who's like, no, man, this was never about erections. This was about <laughs> blood pressure. Totally. Well, I think what would happen is like they've probably got to, they've reached this impasse where it's like they're not getting the blood thinning results, but they're getting all these boners. And so whoever is funding this research is like, we're going to shut this all down. And so one rogue scientist or researcher says, you know what? I'm going to take it myself. One of us has to fucking be the, you know, be the right. guinea pig. Flat and all his like co-workers would be like, you can't do that, man. This is why we're having clinical trials. It's like, no, I'm taking it. I'm taking it. This particular researcher, this one maverick, I think that maybe he's having problems in his relationship at home. Like maybe he and his partner aren't right. getting on so well. Maybe they haven't been intimate in a while. Maybe she's even holding him responsible. You're working too hard. You're tired when you come home. You never seem interested. And it's really damaged their relationship. I reckon he takes his pill, he goes home, he and his wife have the best sex they've ever had in a, like months or for years. And he's the one who the next day goes, fellas, <laughs> fellas, we're pivoting. <laughs> Just like my pelvis was last night over and over again, we're pivoting. Okay, Greg, we get it. 
No, 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 no. <laughs> Let me tell you in explicit detail how it went. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing side effect. Um, and obviously it's become a, you know, multi-billion dollar industry. So, you know, I don't know how we got to that, Charlie, but the point is that we got I to it. I can't remember either. <laughs> <laughs> James Kurana. Kurana writes in. No, Karuna. Kurana. Kurana. Karuna. James Karuna says, hey, Tofop, I'd like to sue Charlie. Are you the guy hit with my car last week? I hope not. (laughs) Oh, dear God, that'd be terrible. I'd like, I tried to contact your pager, but you didn't answer. (laughs) (laughs) I like to listen to your podcast as I work out and found myself listening to episode 213 when you guys were talking about a guy called Hoover. Right as I was at the top of my dumbbell fly, Charlie calls me to drop the dumbbells by saying, I was fellated by a machine. <laughs> I'd like Judge Judy to preside over the case, but we'll settle for the People's Court because they have a great track, uh, great track play as people get, they have a great track play as people get introduced. Okay, so there's this new show coming to Channel 10 in Australia called Trial by uh, Kyle. Uh, Kyle Sanderlands yeah. is like a Judge Judy type. We could probably get on that right they'd be desperate like it's a lot of like you know sort of ex-bachelorette contestants and stuff in small claims court so to be honest they'd be wrapped to have us if if we were one of the cases and kyle would be able to be mean to us because you know kyle and i don't, don't get along very well so they'd be like this is a good offer for this tv show and the complainant could be this person who's written in like with their complaint that they were listening to the podcast and it was so fun. like as a way of promoting the podcast like as an ad for yeah. the podcast because essentially his story is that you said something so amusing that he injured mm. himself so like yes of course he would be suing us you know in this petty claims court that isn't a real court but we'd be getting all this free publicity like for the podcast that is and- so funny that people injure themselves and it's totally in the Carl Sanderland's wheelhouse of uh, I was fellated by a machine. Something tells me that if we were to do that, that somehow the, the blowtorch would be applied to me. Yeah. <laughs> I would be interrogated over that statement. In fact, I believe that it would end with Carl sentencing you to be fellated by a machine. <laughs> Matt Kadoosh writes in, Hey, Tofop, VR idea. Jeez, the VR. People are into the VR. According to the two pieces of correspondence we have received, it is a virtual deluge of excitement about the VR idea that we had forgotten that we had had. (laughs) We didn't have it. Someone else had it, didn't they? I can't even remember if it was our idea. Probably not. (laughs) Do you remember when you were talking about having a memorial for Will with a photo collection of him with knobs drawn on it? Maybe you can do that in virtual reality. Call it the Will Anderson Pictorial Primorial Penis Enhanced. <laughs> That's brilliant. Primorial. I've heard of a memorial, but this is a primorial. I don't, look, I don't mind this as an idea. The only problem is that, you know, look, I do have a, another career in life that just, I think, eventually can't be as penis-based as this world is. And I feel like yeah. there's just a possibility that the, you know, the leaking of the you know, penises into the broader world is not something that we should yeah. desire. It's a, to me, it's like an Easter egg. I reckon if you enter our virtual reality news agent to send a fax, if you, if you browse the magazines in the right order, you'll unlock a secret level in which come, someone can be your primorial and they can 
attach penises to you in whatever way they want. How you know what? That? I I love it. So you actually have to get to a <laughs> yeah, certain level. You have to level. spend. Yes, I love it. It is completely beyond our capacities to ever do something <laughs> like that. So I like it even more because I can so easily agree to it happening, safe in the knowledge. <laughs> That based on our facts experience, it will never happen. So yes, Charlie, 100%. If we have a virtual news agents where people can flip through magazines in the right order to unlock a secret category where they can attach penises to me in a memorial, yes, 100% on the record, I agree to do that. Maybe virtually animated testimonials in a shed, like that horrific fuck show that Will attended. What was that? Oh, I mean, I, oh God, I don't know. What he's referring to. <laughs> There's been so many horrific parts of my life that I'm never going to be able to deal with Charlie because I believe my therapist may be dead. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Something to throw around with whoever put their hand up for the VR. Kind regards, Matt. Okay. Well, we'll add that to the list. Uh, Jimmy Royal. Now that's a good, that's what, instead of bloody Bartleby Fink, I should have come up with Jimmy Royal. That sounds like a much better pseudonym. I mean, Jimmy Royal sounds like a rapper's name. Like if you were in some sort of hip hop troupe and you, your Jimmy name was Royal. Jimmy Royal. Like if one of the Beastie Boys was called Jimmy Royal. I was going to say, like, yeah, it sounds like, okay, a, cool. it's like, it's like a white rapper's name, Jimmy Royal. It's yeah. Got, don't you think? Jimmy Royal. It sounds like a white rapper. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I've been watching a lot of uh, Beastie Boys um, stuff on YouTube the last few nights because... Um, well, basically just because they were doing a promo about this new book that they've um, yeah, put together and it just made me nostalgic. So I just went like in a YouTube hole looking at Beastie Boys stuff. And they, like when you talk about people growing up and like still having the essence of what they were, but kind of constantly reinventing themselves and just being mm. kind of having this essence of being the coolest people doing whatever it was that they were doing, but they would often do different things. It, they are just cool like they were an yeah. amazing act like a brilliant live act a really fantastic musical act but their evolution is amazing yeah they were one of the few bands that i would see every year that they came out yeah absolutely i went and like if, if i could see them more than once on a tour i definitely would and they would often change it up too they were but they were just amazing life the beastie boys i i went to see um there was an outdoor concert one summer in Melbourne uh, where the headliners were Snoop Dogg, Jurassic 5 and the Beastie Boys. I, I think remember the Beastie that. Boys. Yeah. I, oh, I went, went to yeah. that, I think in Melbourne and Sydney. Yeah, right. And um, a mate of mine works for a newspaper and so he got me side of stage tickets. And so, um, you know, we'd go through this like little private bar area where some of the artists are hanging out and then you go to the side of stage and have a drink and we're watching Jurassic 5 and then Snoop Dogg came out. And I'm a huge Beasties fan. I said to Jem, I'm just going to get a drink before the Beasties boys come out so I don't have to go back to the bar once they start. And so I'm going through the bar and there's all these dudes hanging out. And there are these guys in these like really cool like 70s uh, three-piece suits like, you know, uh, like with sort of flared trousers and stuff and Converse and shit like that. And so I sort of push past them, get my drinks and go out and I say to Jem, I'm so excited about seeing the Beasties boys. I can't wait. They work them on stage. Out come these three guys in these three-piece suits and start rapping. They were literally like right there. I did not even recognize them. I pushed through them. I was just like, oh, my God. Ironically, you did not ch 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 check them out. Uh, no. But the good news was you were fighting for your right to party. So they would have respected that. Yeah, I, ca I caught the last. Uh, uh, I had no sleep till disappointment that night. <laughs> 
Uh, Russell Van Laren writes in, Hey, Will and Charlie, I've been listening to TOEFOP for years and it's helping me get through a rough time by always making me laugh. I moved up to Sydney for uni two years ago uh, from a uni in a country town. Sadly, due to circumstances, my parents moved up at the same time, so I still lived at home since moving to Sydney. I've noticed this weird class system where people judge you depending on whether you went to a public school or a private school and what suburb you live in. It's a real shock for me being from the country where people judge you by your family name or your personality. I reckon I found that when I first moved to Sydney. I was... I mean, I, and I came from Melbourne as well. I didn't even come from the country, but I remember when I first got here going to parties and stuff and I was like, it feels different. Like I think Melbourne is a bit more of a, a crossover in terms of like class and backgrounds and stuff. Like you can go to a house party in Melbourne and it seems to be like a cross section of people or go to a pub or go to the AFL and it's like a, a cross section. Whereas when I got to Sydney, I definitely felt like it was what school did you go to? Where do you live? That kind of stuff. I mean, I think that uh, Sydney is a city obsessed with status in a way that, you know, most other cities aren't. But the other thing is, I've always said this about Sydney, it's not a city. It's a collection of suburbs. It's the geographical mm. nature of the city. It's divided by that huge harbour, which really isn't, like, which pretends to be the centre of the city. But the geographical centre of the city is, you know, Parramatta or wherever. Like, you know, that's where the majority of people are living. There's no connection between, you know, the eastern suburbs and the North Shore and those sort of things. So every area has everything that you would possibly need. So it's very rare yeah. that you go outside your own area or where you went to school or, you know, you know, sort of identifying by a suburb because where the suburb you live says something about, you know, the kind of lifestyle or, you know, attitude or whatever you've had. So I think that is absolutely the case. That I think that's one of the hardest things about Sydney at the start is like th th there is a great judgment about that. I think in Melbourne, it's kind of like a reverse problem where you're probably going to meet more people. It's a bit more open like that. But it does also come back to what team you barrack for, what school you went to and what area you grew up. Like, that's definitely the three questions you get in Melbourne is like footy team, school and where you grew up. Oh, yeah. I, since I've been back in the Melbourne city and kind of working in a world outside comedy, because last time I lived in Melbourne, it was just mostly, you know, open mic stand-up comedy and the comedy scene. And I wasn't really in an environment where anyone cared who went to school where or, you know, those sort of things. Mm. But now that I work in a world where people are much more conscious of that. I have been a little overwhelmed at how obsessed grown men in Melbourne are still with where they went to school and what that says about them. I think about school never. Like, never. Yeah. Like, I define myself never by where I went to school or what my school life was like. I feel like I've been alive for so long that where I... Like, I mean, that school was kind of this thing that happened, but... There have been so many things since then that have happened in my life mm. that are much more substantive. That school's just like this kind of like, yeah, okay, that was fine. But it like yeah. doesn't even feel like it's connected with the rest of my life. But people are obsessed with it in Melbourne as well, I think. It, it's funny, like, because I've been wrestling with that. Because I'm a bit like you. Like, once I left school, the university I went to, hardly had any high school friends there. And then when I started working and stuff, there was not a lot of guys from my school in that field. So... I just sort of lost contact with a lot of my friends and I've never gone to any of the reunions or anything like that. It's like my 20 year reunion happened a couple of years ago. And now I sort of feel like, cause I was Facebook stalking it the other day. I was like, I just wonder what happened to all these guys. And I was looking and, you know, trying to see if I could recognize people and stuff. And cause my school was one of those schools that has a, like they encourage a community of old boys. Like once you're out of the school, there's still a network, there's still events. They really, 
you know, you've got, you can stay in touch with everyone if you want to. There's constantly events to attend and blah, blah, blah. And I just wanted to get away from that. I wanted to be new. I wanted to do something different, meet new people. I didn't want, the idea of staying in that same environment just felt really stifling. But now I'm like, oh, I'm curious to sort of dip my toe back into it. I met a guy <clears throat> uh, a couple of weeks ago who has just gone to his high school 20 year reunion. And he was a bit like us and that he hadn't really sort of kept in touch, but then got curious and thought, fuck it, I'm going to go in the deep end, go to the 20 year reunion. And he really enjoyed it. And he said the thing that he found most fun was to go around to people. And, you know, he said the first five minutes with everyone is great because everyone's happy to see each other. And, you know, you've got your three or four talking points and because you went to school together, there's never an awkward silence. Like you can always bring up an old teacher or whatever. But he said, he started asking people, <clears throat> what was your impression of me in high school? Because he says that time of your life where you're a teenager and you're so self-conscious and it's a really, um, can be a really volatile environment where people are trying to define themselves. Your memories of who you are are probably pretty unreliable and they're probably clouded by like raging hormones and, you know, depression and all this kind of stuff that teenagers go through. He said it was really enlightening. Oh, I said there's two things that, he, that were great. He went up to a bunch of girls that he went to school with that he had crushes on when he was a kid and told them, just like, you know, just a, as, a, as a cute little thing. He said that was always fun to see how someone will react when you confess that you had a crush on them. But then the second thing was, what did you think of me? And he said that all the perceptions that came back were so different to how he thought his high school experience was. You know, he always thought he was a bit of an outsider. You know, he was queer, that no one liked him or that maybe they tolerated him or whatever. But then he just got all this love coming back. All these guys saying, you just seem so confident. I just assumed you didn't want to hang out with us. All this kind of really interesting feedback. So I'd be curious for that. I would not be in any way. I, really? I don't know who your fucking mate Louis Theroux is, but there's no <laughs> way I'm going back to a fucking reunion and asking people what they actually thought of me at high school. No, thank you. No, thank you very much. I don't want that at all. That sounds like the worst <laughs> thing that would ever happen in your entire life. That sounds like a nightmare, a living fucking nightmare, going from person to person. Hey, hey, you know this scab that's healed over and I've made my peace with? Could you pick it apart and completely pull the rug from under me? Who are you, my therapist? Are you even alive? You go up to the first person, you say, hey, what did you think of me at high school? He says, what did I think of you? Immediately grabs your underpants and gives you a wedgie and stuffs you into a rubbish bin. And everyone laughs at you. Only this time they've got phone cameras. Um, yeah, it's it, uh, like I have no connection to my university either. And it's one of those things where maybe it's because I don't do the thing I studied. Like maybe if I had gone on to be a journalist, I would still be more in contact with like the journalism department at the university or the other people who did journalism, you know, it, 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 because they'd be in my world. Like, I, I guess if I'd gone, if Canberra University had been like the comedy university and I'd gone to uni with like Husey and Rove and Michelle Laurie and Corinne or whatever, and you go, okay, well, I do. I have a connection to that place because we all studied there and then we went on to work together or work in related industries and those sort of things. But maybe because there's a clean connection, like a clean break between them, it doesn't really feel like. I don't know. I don't. Maybe I, I don't think maybe I'm one of those people either. I just don't think I am a person who, you know, when you move on, like when I moved out of home, I moved out of home. 
it, yeah. it didn't mean that I didn't love my parents. And it's the same with like school and uni. It doesn't mean that I didn't have affection for those like friends or the times that I had there or those sort of things. It's just more. And I would have a great time at a reunion. I went to my 10 year. Mm. I couldn't go to my 20th. I was working, but I'd happily go to another one. I'm always delighted when I run into people I went to school with and stuff, but I don't have any sort of like longing to like, I wish I could reconnect with that person or, you know, other than just curiosity, what they're up to. I hope they're going well, but I don't, it doesn't really affect my mm. life one way or the other. Oh, don't get me wrong. I don't care about what anyone else is doing. I just want to know what they think about me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Married three kids, whatever. Now, let's go back to me. Now, you mind if we like, record this? Could dislike, you this uh, release form? Uh, we're just going to yeah. roll the three cameras on this. What did yeah. you think of me? Hang on. Let's get a bit of light over here. Let's set up a <laughs> tripod. You know, we'll, we'll take three minutes. We'll set up a tripod. You'll actually appreciate it because you'll look better on the documentary. Oh, did I mention I'm making a documentary? That's what you just signed. <laughs> this is Len. Uh, He's my first AD. <laughs> we should finish off Russell's uh, correspondence. Uh, however, no one uh, knows what to make of me as I live in a suburb that's considered a bit posh, but I'm public school educated. No, we're funny, nerdy shit. Really, the point of this email is to see if Will faced a similar thing, or is it just a thing that has developed in my generation that's obsessed with their image? P.S. Uh, thanks for the last, Charlie. Um, if you fucked up the pronunciation of my name, don't worry, everyone does. Uh, I think that the... Because I, I, I live in, you know, the kind of the poshest of all suburbs in Sydney. Like one that, you know, mm. if you were trying to make a joke about, you know... Uh, rich private schools like you know in my area there's literally a girl's private school that has one of the greatest views of sydney harbour that you will ever have in your entire life you know like these aren't kids playing you know down ball on asphalt these are kids you know playing hockey with a view of sydney harbour and the opera house and the harbour bridge and you know these sort of things that's the suburb i live in and i love it because it's really anonymous for me like you know yeah. no one there has any understanding of who I am or what I do and would never like listen to the podcast or any of those sort of things. And I think there's it, it like I notice it, but for me, I, I like it. Whereas like here in Melbourne, like the suburb I'm in, the inner city, there's a few more people that like, you know, mention that they listen to the podcast or they you know, know the radio show or whatever. So you don't actually have that same sort of level of, anonymity so i actually think it can be a good thing in some ways but i understand how also if you're in a new place and you're living at home that idea of like how do you connect with people well what i would say is just get keep, really keep famous looking. yeah get what really i would famous. say is get really famous <laughs> and have your major problem be that you don't want people bothering you when you're going for a walk because if you manage to do that all your problems will be solved <laughs> Uh, last bit of T-mail is from Hey Will and Charlie Ever since Hamish Nandy stopped podcasting I swore no more Unless entertaining uh, No sorry I swore no more useless entertaining Or any podcast at all for a matter of fact But recent events led me to needing bulk content to listen to Whilst trimming weed Don't worry Legally Yeah I decided to I'm, I'm more if that worried means about that to be honest works in like one of those medicinal approved labs where she's trimming weed oh okay yeah where okay i'm back trimming weed trimming weeds in the garden <laughs> i don't know i I'm, i it was really unclear she should have not un thought that we would understand yeah. i decided to prepare yeah tofop don't think we understand yeah tofop Assume spell it out for it. us 
Tofop, <laughs> treat us like we're idiots. I decided to prepare and do some research in preparation. And by research, I mean going to the comedy section of Spotify to see what entices me. Entices me, sorry, punctuation is a bit of an issue in this email. Uh, going to the comedy section of Spotify and seeing what entices me. And Will Anderson did the trick. His name in brackets. <laughs> sorry, Charlie. I thought Charlie was Charlie Pickering at first which then I was in doubt about. Ha, ha, ha. No offence, Charlie Pickering. <laughs> of drive-by. little drive-by for yeah. Pico. He's got an excellent new show on the ABC, by the way. Tomorrow, tonight. It's a really thought-provoking... Um, I saw the first episode last week, and I really liked it. I thought it raised a lot of really good questions. It's a good piece of entertainment, so check that out on ABC iView or on the ABC. Uh, I gave it a shot, and I have not stopped... Li- I think she's talking about Tofop, and I have not stopped listening since I found you guys. I'm not even on the farm yet. The- I think she's either trimming weed or trivying meth because there are no full stops in this entire email. Like, it just flows on. It's like stream of consciousness. Mate, it's she's come here from to... Hamish and Andy. She's a millennial. This is how millennials type. No punctuation. It's exhausting. It's exhausting to read. I need a rest. I need a break. Okay, so I gave it a shot. And I have not stopped listening since I found you guys. And I'm not even on the farm yet. I don't know what that means. I've made the rookie mistake of starting at the newest podcast and going backwards, which probably explains why I enjoy your podcast. Keep up the great work, guys. Love the content. Although I'm trying hard to understand to Robocop world, not much of a nerd would love to hear your thoughts on surfing world. I'm just reading that verbatim. Let me, I'll slow that down because there's no punctuation in that sentence. And it Okay. Goes, so firstly, when she says she's not on the farm yet, maybe she means the legal weed farm. Maybe she does okay. work on a legal weed farm and she isn't even there okay. yet. She had to trim the weeds, so she's downloaded a bunch of podcasts. But what she's done is, like buying your chocolates too soon before Easter, she's actually dipped into the supply and eaten the chocolates and she hasn't made it to Easter. Uh, maybe that's yeah. what she's saying. That sounds like, hmm, that's a, quite a specific example, Will. Is this something that happens in your house every Easter? Amy walks down, she's like, where's the fucking chocolate? Will! Just you sitting there. Chocolate on your face, crying. I believe that Easter eggs are not an occasion snack. I don't think there is oh, any man. reason. It, much like hot cross buns. I'll eat them both at any time during the year. I'm not religious. I don't go to church. I can eat an Easter egg or a hot cross bun on any day I choose, not four days out of every year. What sort of fucking system are you running? Wow, man. I look up to you so much. That stance you took on when you eat Easter eggs, it really yeah. just changed things, man. It changed my perception. I'm the new Richard Dawkins. <laughs> Take that, religion. I've made the rookie mistake of starting at the newest podcast and going backwards, which probably explains why I enjoy your podcast. Pause. So, why does that explain it? Well, oh, because good ones first. the early ones are terrible. We've said it before. Right, yeah. We'll say it again. The early ones are terrible and unlistenable. And you know, for two guys who spent 40 minutes today talking about erections I think that the early ones are quite immature Charlie (laughs) keep up the great work guys love the content now this is where I get confused although I I trying hard to understand to Robocop world not much of a nerd would love to hear your thoughts on surfing world I trying I'm trying hard to understand I think it's the the robot world the Robocop world yeah, well, we probably talked about just Robocop. robots in general. It's, robots, yeah, well, just maybe. robots, not Robocop. Well, I don't know. I don't think we've talked about Robocop specifically that much. It's a good point. Robot, maybe robot world. Um, love to hear our thoughts on the surfing world. Um, I believe there are waves, and those waves are ridden with uh, 
styrofoam or fiberglass boards. I mean, and those, are they uh, people who ride the boards? Are they styrofoam boards very often? Um, styrofoam, but covered in fiberglass, isn't it? Oh, okay. All right, sure. I, I yeah. imagined, I was like, I don't think Kelly Slater's rocking a styrofoam surfboard. <laughs> He's just literally on an esky lid. <laughs> Inflatable lilo. Uh, I don't really know anything about surfing. I wanted to be a surfer. When I was young, all my mates were getting into it. We were all riding bodyboards and stuff. But I'm not the strongest swimmer. And it only took like me getting dumped and held under a few times for me to go, Whew, I think I, I don't want to die. I would 100% love to be a surfer. That would have been, yeah. it's something that I would have loved when I was um, young and uh, to learn when I was young. And now my hips are so bad, I can't do it. When we we're in Hawaii, um, everyone went for surfing lessons and it was just this awesome instructor who had like just basically guaranteed, you know, here's a couple of minutes on the beach and we'll get you out there. We'll get you up on the surfboard and everyone got up and it looked so much fun. There is a little part of me, like when I was talking to my hip doctor and he was sort of like, well, what things would you hope that if you replaced your hips, you know, you might be able to do? There was a part of me that was like, maybe surfing. Because it's not like all hips. Like I'll need better hips than I have. But it's like, it's not like one of those things where I can't run a marathon or anything. I probably can't even go back to running. But maybe I could mm. like learn to surf. So I think like, you know, I, I wouldn't mind the idea of like becoming an older in life surfer. That's, fuck man, that's, a, that's my dream. That's what I think is going to happen. I reckon I'm going to be a guy who gets into it at like 50. I think it's going to be like, you could make a, I'll probably end up writing a book about, you know, like a, my, you know, overcoming your midlife crisis by finding, you know, some harmony with the ocean or something like I that. I mean, this actually feels like that you haven't overcome your midlife crisis, that you've leaned <laughs> fully into your midlife crisis. No, I'm, I'm having my, yeah, I'm having my cranky, I'm in my cranky zone right now, but then I'm going to come through the other side and become like a zen, gray haired, long beard surfer. You and should I can call the of, book, this book is my midlife crisis. Because <laughs> I just love, I do, I love the beach. I'm down at the beach yeah. all the time. I love being in the water. Like it makes me happy being in the ocean. It's just I'm terrified of dry, drowning or getting eaten by a shark. There's I'm not terrified really of either of those things. List. But I am oh, really? terrified of uh, other surfers judging me. So I need to find yes. some place where it's good waves that I can learn to surf, but it's not full of other people who are going to judge me. I'm definitely one of well, those people who would like like a, an area where it's like not a lot of people, some friendly people who are – like that's why Hawaii seemed cool. There was too many people, but everyone was kind of like on the same level and friendly and you know where they teach people to surf isn't where the main surfers are surfing. They've just built – I'm not sure if you saw the news this week, a giant wave pool in Queensland. Did you see this? It's this huge lake. And in the center of the lake is essentially like a giant coffee plunger. And so this plunger goes down and it sends waves off in every direction around this lake. And it's been designed that you've got waves of different sizes. So it's consistent every time this plunger goes down, you get these like perfectly rideable waves of different sizes. And they say because of the consistency and you're not fighting rips or currents, they guarantee you'll be surfing within a week. And I saw this... When I on the TV and I was like, "Oh my God, this this is how this is the start of my journey when I become the surfing Zen dude." If there was one near my house, like if oh come on, no, but I'm saying like literally, if there was one, you know, if say for example the Albert Park swimming complex, they put in a wave pool, and so during yeah. the day when there's not as many people around, I could go in like every day and go surfing and learn how to surf for an hour. I would learn to surf, no doubt. Well, you could, that's what I'm saying. This this place is in like regional Queensland. There's definitely going to be no one there. Yeah, but it's in regional Queensland. I'm also not going to be there. 
Um, P.S. Has Charlie... Uh, oh, by the way, I'm doing shows in Townsville and Cairns. No, Townsville <laughs> and Noosa. Sorry, I keep saying Cairns. Townsville and Noosa next weekend. <laughs> I will be in regional Queensland. But I'm not learning how to surf. P.S. Has Charlie ever thought about being Charlie from Charlie's Angels in regard to the episode discussing the seriousness of Charles and Charlie? Ha, 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 ha. Uh, yes, I've often thought about being Charlie in Charlie's Angels. Uh, keep up the great work, guys. Always got me laughing. PPS. Oh, <laughs> please keep my name anonymous. Oh. No one else has this name. Mike Al, can you go back and bleep that out, please? Ah, yes. oh, and then uh, Person X has followed up with a second email. By the way, after. can I just mention to people that if you want your name kept anonymous, mention yeah. it at the top Let, of the email. <laughs> yeah, put it at the top. Hey, Will and Charlie, just realizing I should clarify for my previous email, I only listen to podcasts on Spotify and Hamish and Andy no longer exist on there, hence my giving up on podcasts until I found you guys. Now realizing I look like a total fuckhole, ha 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 ha, keep up the good work. And if anything, I hope my uselessness at least entertained you or is just plain stupid. I'll probably never write in again or email in again and I'll avoid further embarrassment. Ha 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 ha. No, you were great. We got like 15 minutes worth of material out of you. I know, but the way that you keep putting ha 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 in there makes me think that you're some sort of evil Batman villain who's plotting against <laughs> us. Ha 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 ha. It's a little foreboding. Now, Will, you mentioned that you're going doing shows in regional Queensland. Where else can people find you in the uh, Bendigo. Uh, well, actually, by the time people hear this, I will have already been in Bendigo and Pakenham, I imagine. Uh, but if not, uh, I am there with Justin Hamilton. And then uh, I will be, yes, uh, Townsville and uh, Noosa the weekend afterwards with Justin. And then uh, Sydney Comedy Store from the 7th uh, to the 15th. Uh, I will be trialling material for my new show. I started working on uh, what I thought it would be. Well, I've been thinking about it for a bit, mostly panicking, to be honest, because, you know, Will Legal <laughs> was all about one thing and it was a you know, very distinctive show and like the thing that I kind of have enjoyed most that I've done. Um, so following it up is a little bit more difficult than I imagined. It's a bit terrifying. Uh, so I've been thinking about cake, it mate. for a little while. It's easy. It's easy right but I've got this show. new chunk on how they discovered uh, Viagra. <laughs> that should be the good 20 minutes of the show. Um, no, um, I think it's going to be about... Maybe about the state of the world a bit. A bit more like, at least my perspective on the state of the world, but a bit more of a, rather than an inward-facing show, it might be a bit more of an outward-facing show. So I'm going to be trying some material for that uh, at the Sydney Comedy Store. So come along and help me uh, come up with and form those ideas. Uh, sounds wicked. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, and if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash dofop. We did a live stream last week. That's up on Patreon. Wow, available sounds to wicked. all subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> At all levels. You get Quantum Cop there. You get the Tofop 100 book. You get a bunch of great stuff on Patreon, but most of all, you're supporting us. Uh, you can go to tofop.com to find all our other podcasts, including Philosophy, Two Guys, One Cup. That's awesome. And Fofop, I believe you've got a new couple new Fofops. Oh, there. yeah. A right? Dave Anthony episode uh, and a Gareth Reynolds episode. And um, the Dave Anthony episode might give a few clues about the sort of stuff I might end up talking about in my new show. And uh, the Gareth one, well, Gareth is just, there is one thing, a John Travolta riff in the Gareth episode that may be one of the funniest things that um, I've ever <laughs> been in the room while somebody has been doing it. It is just 
I couldn't breathe how much I was laughing. He is so brilliant. And there is a new episode of The Dollop out. Uh, it was their, their final show in Melbourne. Uh, that one is out that I was on uh, now, so people can check that out as well. Sounds wicked. I'm Charlie Clawson. <laughs> and I sound wicked. <laughs> Sounds wicked. <laughs> This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want, it's up to you.